Daniel this, uh, this last summer. And so um, I'm going to be finishing up a story that we've been going through. And, and I'm, I think what I'm going to do first is I'm just going to read. And so if you guys have Bibles, uh, bust it open to Daniel chapter 3. I'm just going to read the whole chapter to you. Um, hopefully I do it um, entertainingly enough that you don't get bored and fall asleep on me, but I'm going to do it anyways because that's what I feel like I need to do as a way of reviewing um, kind of what we've covered so far. And so I'm just going to read Daniel 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. You ready? Hey, I, I think, you know, I just have to point this out. Like a lot of times you don't hear passages like Daniel 3 preached in the pulpit because it gets talked about in Sunday school so much, the little kids, right? So I think it's refreshing that we're doing this. I I love it. Uh, Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the seratrips, the precepts, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satra, I can't pronounce that word, prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image of the king that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, uh, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, a bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods and worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order or sorry, new sentence, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Silent tension, just for fun. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered him and said, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the seraphs and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any other gods except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The word of the Lord. Are we all still awake? I couldn't resist reading the whole thing, because I, despite all the repetition, which the Old Testament is guilty of uh, doing, it's a great story. Um, so, I used to, uh, let's see, me and Stephanie would have been married for maybe a year, two, two years, and we're still living in Chicago, and I worked uh, at a restaurant, it was called Jason's Deli. Now, it was a chain restaurant that originally started in Texas, and I really enjoyed their food. Like, I don't know, I, I'm not generally a big fan of a Reuben sandwich. But the way these guys made a Reuben sandwich made me want to eat a Reuben sandwich. I mean, they would pile on meat like this big, and then they'd put on sauerkraut just as big, and they'd put it between two pieces of rye bread, and the sandwich would be, like, you practically had to unhinge your jaw to eat this sandwich. Like, it was a mean Reuben. And they made a lot of other really good things. And over the years, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs, most of them including working with food, and, and, and in this food and service industry, right, or retail. And there were a few things that I always noticed um, 
about my bosses, the managers. There, there were these, these distinct things I noticed about the bosses. Um, and really, it was, a, it was a teller of whether they were a good boss or not. And here's what it was. Um, specifically at Jason's Deli, I had a boss who, uh, at first, when I started working for him, I, well, let's be straight, I thought he was a jerk. Because honestly, he was just a blunt guy. But one thing that I always admired about him was that when the rush came, like the lunch rush, he was in the trenches with us. He was right there, present with us as we uh, did our little sandwich making. And we also made soups and potatoes and all kinds of other stuff. Really, if you're ever in an area that has a Jason's Deli, you should just go check it out. It's really good. But anyways, there was he, he was that type of boss who worked with you and was present with you while you were in the rush, while you're in the trenches, if you will, right? Um, there's a, a, a famous, um, or, or I guess, you know, if you think about Alexander the Great, right? Uh, he was known, and this is just what's said of him, uh, he was known for being the type of ruler or king that would walk with his soldiers during the long marches to battle. He didn't sit on his horse. He didn't, like, um, you know, put himself above them, but he believed wholeheartedly that he was a part of this fight just as much as his foot soldiers were, and so he would be in the trenches with them, right? And so there's those kind of bosses. And then there's, you know, obviously the other bosses, and, and Jason Zanelli had these kind of bosses as well, and they were the type of bosses that were always above. I put my time in in the trenches. I, I don't need to be there anymore. That was the mindset they had. You ever work with bosses like that? And, and, and so I always admired, admired this particular boss because of the fact that when, when the going got rough, he was there and he was with you. One time specifically, it was closing night. It was just me and him, and this huge storm hit the Chicagoland area, and the power went out. Now, um, there's a few things that could have been done. We could have, because we're literally on our way out the door. We could have just been like, well, I hope everything goes all right, and just walked out and left, right? Like, we could have done that. But this boss, being the good boss that he is, said, well, no, because there is, like, thousands of dollars worth of produce and meats and cheeses sitting in these coolers, and if we leave them there, they'll spoil, and we have to throw it all out, and we won't be able to open up for, like, at least a week until another truck comes and brings us more supplies. And so being this type of boss who's in the trenches with me, instead of making me just do all the work by myself, he got down and he he helped me. And so between the two of us, we moved, well, again, I'll just say thousands of dollars worth of meat, produce, and cheese, and all that good stuff into bigger coolers that was sealed better so that it could stay cool and not be spoiled for the next day. Because the power was out for a long time. I don't know if Stephanie remembers that storm. It was a nasty storm. She doesn't. That's all right. Um, And... (laughs) And so he was the type of boss who was willing to get down and dirty and work with you. And really, that's the type of person that, like, we learn from, right? We learn from the type of people who are willing to be with us and teach us by showing us, not just by ordering us around, right? Um, We're going to continue. And and Eric kind of preached the first half of Daniel 3 uh, last week. Um, And he... uh, And he, he does a really good job of, of giving a lot of the history of Daniel, right? So I don't, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing that because he's, you know, right, I think he's done a good job. I mean, there's a reason he's had 55-minute sermons over the last couple of weeks, right? He's very thorough. 
I appreciate that about him. Um, I am not as thorough. Uh, oh, you can go back one more slide. Sorry. And, and so really the big idea of the book of Daniel as a whole, just as way of reminder, is that God is sovereign or in control in exile. Because the whole book of Daniel is about this idea that the Jews are in exile. They've been torn from their own kingdom, brought to a new land. And to the Babylonians, this would have been like, ha ha, my God's bigger than your God. I just took you out. That's proof right there. And really the point of Daniel is to show, well, no, that's not, that's not true. And throughout these stories in Daniel, it shows that over and over again, does it not? It continually goes over the fact that God is in control even when you're in exile, right? And so with that in mind, um, and I'm starting on the second half because, again, uh, Eric covered last week through verse 18. And really the, the big idea, right, is, is we looked at the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego based on their response to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, what did they say? They said, um, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, right, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship your idol. And so it's just this idea of looking at the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Abe, Shaq, and Benny, as their abbreviated names. And so this week, we're going to continue on through the story, and we're just going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. And then from there, I think most of the time, I'm just going to spend a lot of time focusing on the gospel. And you'll understand why when we get there. But let's just walk through these verses, starting in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it would usually be heated. Now, the king's mad, obviously. He's mad because he had put out an order. He's a king, right? He's put out an order, and they said, no, nah, I'm not going to obey that. I'm not going to do that. Now, in his mind, that is a rightful reason to get mad because I'm in charge. I'm the king. You've got to listen to what I have to say. And so his face changes. Now, the reason it says that is because before, Nebuchadnezzar had dealt with these guys before, and he was like, he wanted to give him a chance. He's like, come on, guys. All you have to do is bow. It's not a big deal. Just do it. And what it would have been a first is a face of, like, almost compassion. Like, I'm giving you a chance. I am a merciful king. I will, I will give you this chance. But when they said no to him, his face changes, and it turns to fury. And to reflect the fury that he's feeling on the inside, he orders that, the, that the, the, the furnace be heated. And essentially, when it says seven times, it essentially means heat that sucker to maximum capacity. 
make it as hot as it can handle. Um, I've, you know, I've over the years been to like really good bonfires. And now, and I always have to clarify this because like my wife, and I'll make fun of her right now because I love her. um, She'll be like, hey, let's, let's invite some people over and have a bonfire in our yard. And I'm like, honey, that's, that's not a bonfire, girl. Like you've never been to a bonfire. When I think about bonfires, I think of the time, and I don't remember where I went. It was when I was in high school. I know it was with the Andersons. And they burned essentially like a house out in the middle of nowhere. That was a bonfire. I mean, the flames were as tall as that statue probably was. Like, it was a big fire. And, and I remember hanging out at this bonfire, and you had to stay a certain ways back from the fire. Because if you got too close, what happened? You felt like you were getting a sunburn, even though it was dark out, right? And, and I remember being like, oh, I wonder how close I can get before it's uncomfortable. And so I'd like inch closer and closer and closer and closer and close. Too hot. Okay, I got back up, right? So take that intensity of heat. Like I want you guys to feel that, right? Because most of you have been a part of a bonfire, and you know what that experience is like. Now put it in a small container, and heat it up to maximum capacity. That's the type of fire that was going on in this furnace. It was so intense, and it reflected King Nebuchadnezzar's anger. Now, sometimes when we're angry, we make hasty decisions without thinking about them fully, and there are consequences, right? Let's see what happens to Mr. Nebuchadnezzar when he does that. Uh, Verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Now notice what the text says. Oh, yeah, hey, you got I totally forgot I had a slides. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, he's in a rage. He's mad. He orders the furnace to be risen to heats of maximum capacity. And he says, chuck them in. And when he does, when they're thrown into the fire, the flames are so intense that it kills the guards that threw them in. Right? Right? you know, and this isn't like the main chunk of it, but it is worth pointing out that what we see here is Nebuchadnezzar in his uncontrolled rage making a bad decision. You guys ever do that? No? You're all shaking your head in disagreement. Yeah, I've never, I've definitely never done that before either. Yeah, totally. And so it's just something that I noticed as I was studying it, that that. His anger was so uncontrolled that there were consequences for his actions. Because honestly, had he just thrown him into the fiery furnace as it was heated already, it would have got the job done just fine. And he wouldn't have lost his mighty men, right? Because when the text describes these guards, they weren't just like normal run-of-the-mill guards. These were like his top-notch dudes. They would have been like Arnold Schwarzenegger buff, I assume. They would have been good, good guards. And so he just lost them because of his haste and his anger. Now, verse 
And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. So they've been thrown in. Um, Well, actually, let's just look at what happens next. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And actually, I think, again, it is worth pointing out that what we're seeing here is Nebuchadnezzar's true character because he's in haste, in his rage, heating the furnace up to maximum capacity and losing some guards. And then again, in haste, he's reacting to what he's seeing, right? Now, honestly, you don't blame him for doing that because what did he see? He declared to his counselors, Do we not, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, when this happened, and, and we're going to get more into this when I, when I finish up, but... When, he's, when he looks into the furnace, and so we have to assume that this furnace has a place where someone can be dropped into it, because that's how the text describes it. And then we also have to assume that this furnace has like some sort of display window, right, so that you can see inside of the furnace. Um, when he looks into it and sees what he sees, like it's a miracle, right? They're walking around in a furnace. Walking around in a furnace completely consumed and surrounded by flames and they're just hanging out. And his response, well, actually, first, let me go back for a second. When he says, and the fourth is like a son of the gods, he's essentially saying it is uh, most likely what he was seeing was what he thought was an angel or a, a son of the gods would have been this idea of there is a person in there who is of, uh, is of deity, right? They would have looked a lot different than the other three. And, and so, and obviously for us as Christians, scholars for, for years have been like, well, this is a theophany. You ever heard that fancy word before? Maybe, maybe not. A theophany is essentially a pre-incarnate showing of Christ. And so the assumption for us is, is when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into that fiery furnace and saw the fourth person, that was Jesus in there with them, right? Jesus was with them in the fire. And now let's finish up and then I'll, I'm going to go a lot shorter than Eric and you can thank me for that afterwards. Actually, I expect you to. Thank you. Anyways, okay. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared. And and now I want you to picture this, right? He's the king, and he's so astonished that he stands up. And remember how I described how hot that furnace would have been. He steps up to the furnace as close as is comfortable so that he can yell at them, be like, hey, come out. Like he's willing to put himself near that fire because of how crazy this miracle is. Like they're walking around in a furnace. It's a miracle. And the reason I keep trying to push that on you guys is because a lot of times when we read through stories like this, we don't really get excited anymore. And I think we should because it's a miracle. The guys are walking around and they're completely consumed by fire and it's not even 
Like they come out and it, it, there's no smell or anything on them. They're completely fine. And one thing, the only thing that burned in the fire for them were their bounds that held them tight, which is crazy. More on that in a second. And so he comes near to the door of the furnace and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. I mean, he's changing his tune now, isn't he? Right? Right? Like, I'm assuming that he's thinking like, okay, so like this God is real. And he's just performed a miracle. I better appease him in some way because you know, I, really, I don't think I want to get on this guy's bad side if he just protected them from this furnace. Because if you remember before, he's like, well, what God's going to save you? Right? His tune's changed. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And so they come out. And remember, this isn't just in the presence of the king. All the officials, all the prefects, all the rulers, all the people that work under the king are present when this happens. And they watch and they witness this too. And so they walk out of the furnace. And essentially as the story goes, King Nebuchadnezzar tries to appease himself by being like, now you guys listen up. You ever talk bad about this God again, the Jews God? Yeah, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. You hear me? Listen. That's what he's doing. But why is he doing it? He's doing it because he's trying to appease himself because he made a mistake. He shouldn't have messed with the Jews God, as it turns out. And so he's trying to appease himself in, in some way. And then, of course, he's like, oh, and I'm going to promote these guys. All right, you guys are getting a raise. You're getting a promotion. And he, and he blesses them, right? And, and then the chapter ends. And so, what do we do with this story, right? Here's a few things you can do with this story. One, we can reflect on the way that God delivered them from the furnace. Um. Well, maybe let's look at how he could have delivered them from the furnace. I mean, God could have easily just kind of come down and like a candle just went and blew it out, right? He could have just stopped the fire from coming. But did he do that? No, he did not. What we can get from this is, guys, you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. Life is going to at times be a flaming, fiery furnace. But what does God do with Shadrach and Benny in this moment? He's with them. He's the good king in the trenches with his men. He's the good manager who's in the trenches with the deli sandwich makers. He's doing the work and he's with them. He's not above them looking down on them saying, do better. He's right there with them in the flames, in the fire. And he didn't stop the fire from happening. He didn't stop it. And so if we can get anything out of this this morning is, you know, and I'm, I don't want to, I'm being the bearer of bad news, but you're going to suffer. Life is going to be hard. And those of you who are older and wiser in years, you know this already because you've experienced it. But the beauty of that revelation, right, the beauty of the revelation that you will suffer is the beauty of the fact that he's with you in the suffering. God is a personal God who is intimately involved in the day-to-day of your life. And so when you're hurting, he's there. He's present. 
Now, the other thing is that this whole story is what is called a typology to Christ in the gospel. And essentially what that means is, is that when you look at this story, um, and actually I think Eric summed it up well last week, and I can't remember who he quote, and I should have wrote it down, but he essentially said, um, the miracle of the story isn't that God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire, but the miracle is, is that God spares us from the fires of hell by saving us, right? Like that's the real miracle that we need to remember today. So yes, be excited about the story of Daniel 3. It is a miracle. And this isn't just like a pithy little story by way of tradition that we tell each other to comfort ourselves or whatever. This is a true, historical, this actually happened story. And in it we see the miraculous things that God does. But at the same time, it points us to a bigger miracle. And that's Christ on the cross. The bigger miracle is that through Christ and the cross, you get forgiveness. You get his righteousness. And then you get peace with God. Last week, I got to go and speak uh, at the family camp down in uh, uh, Hungry Horse. And, and I walked them through Romans 5. And, and, I, and it came across my thoughts again this morning as I was wrapping up, finishing this up. And, and I just, in Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through our faith in Christ, we have, and that's not a quote, so you know, I'm totally paraphrasing it, but since we have been made righteous through our faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God, and, and essentially, uh, what I said was, is this idea of peace is experienced in two ways. First, it's peace, our standing. We have right standing with God. So we could actually take this story, and we can look at it, Daniel 3, and we can see that God's intervention put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in right standing with the king again. Isn't that true? That's what happened. And so, again, the bigger miracle is the gospel, right? If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are in right standing with God. That's peace. There's no more amnesty between you and him. And so that changes our standing. That's one. The other peace is our experience. Um, I stole a quote from a commentary um, that I read when I was uh, prepping this message. It says, the joyful, and this is describing peace. It's defining peace as an experience. The joyful experience of those who live in harmony with God, other people, and themselves. If we look at the bigger miracle of the gospel, if you are in Christ, you experience... Right? You don't just have right standing with God. You don't just have your ticket to heaven, but you experience peace with God. You experience peace with others. You experience peace with yourself. And, you know, I, I, uh, that one really jumped out at me because um, 
uh, as that famous saying goes, everywhere you go, there you are. I'm my own worst enemy most of the time. And because of this peace I experience in the gospel, I have harmony with God, others, and myself. That means that you can experience peace with yourself despite the doubting and nagging thoughts and bad mistakes that you've made in your past. The gospel sets you free from that condemnation. That's the bigger miracle here. The bigger miracle is that Christ came and died and made this available to his children. And the biggest miracle, too, is this peace is experienced by way of the fact that when you're in the furnace, God is with you. He's with you. If you are his child, he is present with you. When you are suffering, he is present with you. When you did something really dumb, made a bad choice, gave into that sin again that you swore you'd stop, he's with you. Because you're his kid. And because the gospel has made you his kid, now you get to experience the peace that comes with it. Um, I think I'm going to close by just giving you an opportunity to reflect for a minute. Because, like, this sermon doesn't have a lot of really good practical application, right? Like, I can encourage you, all right, have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those guys had some faith. They trusted God because you see it in the response to the king, right? He's like, hey, yeah, we're not going to do what you say because our God will deliver us. But what's the kicker? Even if he doesn't, he's still our God. And whatever happens, happens. I trust him. Right? So I could say, yes, do that with your life. Do that with your day-to-day life. But here's the other thing. We need to reflect on the fact that in our day-to-day lives, God is with us. He's with us. And if you have experienced peace with God through the gospel, he's with you. And so I want to invite you this morning to take a minute and reflect on that. And I'm okay with awkward silence. We can just sit here. Actually, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. We're just going to sit here because I'm going to be honest. I need it. I'm I'm heading into a busy season of life. This is kind of new for me where I'm at. And, man, I I need to reflect on the fact that God is with me. And so that's what I want to challenge you guys to do. I'm just going to turn my mic off. And when I come back, we're going to pray, and then we can be dismissed. But I just want this to be an awkwardly silent opportunity for you to reflect on God's goodness in your life and to reflect on the fact that he is present with you. We need to hear that. So let's do it.
All right, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you as a people who I know are struggling, hurting, doubting, wrestling, and need to be reminded of your presence. That you are a God who is with us in the fires of life. That you are a God who is miraculously with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they went through a literal fiery furnace. Help us to see that. Help us to praise you for it. Help us to get excited about stories like that because they're real and they're true. But also help us to reflect on the fact that because of Christ and him crucified for our sins, you are present with us in the flames of life as well. You're with us. You know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Help us to remember that as we go about our lives, as we deal with droughts, as we deal uh, with people dying and hurting around us, as we deal with the world seemingly to be in chaos around us. Remind us that you are there and that you are a comforter and that you are always present with us. You're down on the line with us. Help us to see that, reflect on that, and remember that this morning. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome week, guys.